Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Four Pillar Fitness Podcast. This is Coach Phil Houston behind the microphone once again. Uh, I'm going to bring you some interesting and maybe controversial stuff today. Uh, but first, a little bit of housekeeping. If you happen to be listening to us on iTunes, uh, would you do me a favor? Drop us a five-star rating. If you like what you hear, drop us a five-star rating. Uh, and also leave a comment. Let us know what you thought. Uh, maybe drop a question um, and let other people see there's some value here. Uh, again, if you think there is. Um, moving right on to today's topic. Uh, five deadly sins that parents and coaches commit in training young athletes. Uh, I get in some heat sometimes for saying things like this, but I think a lot of this is very, very true. And I'm going to share some of my thoughts. Uh, I've narrowed it down to these five. There are others that I think are, are problematic, but we're going to start with these five today. Um, I've been around the youth fitness and training arena for over two decades. Um, I've learned an awful lot in that time, um, especially from my mistakes. And, and I, I tend to forget sometimes and make those mistakes again. But I do, I do try to learn from them all the time. Uh, and that's why it pains me so much to see the same mistakes being made over and over um, in the training of young athletes and children, children in general. Um, in many ways, parents can be forgiven for making these mistakes. After all, they don't have a background in anatomy and physiology or functional biomechanics uh, or even in coaching in general for most parents, right? They're, they're volunteering to help out if they're coaching at all. And neither do most youth sport coaches. They don't have that background either. But that doesn't stop them from playing at the strength and conditioning of young athletes. I mean, after all, they study at the University of the Internet search engine, and as we know, if it was on Google or YouTube, it must be right. Uh, now, don't think for a minute that I don't appreciate or respect parents and coaches. I absolutely do. Parents have the most challenging job in the world. I'm a parent. I know that. Uh, many youth sport coaches are volunteers who do what they do out of love for the game and a desire to help kids and families. Heck, even, even a lot of middle and high school coaches, they may as well be volunteers given how little they get, pay, get paid. And I know a lot of them, so I know that's true. Uh, regardless, we all have to do better as it relates to youth training and fitness at all levels. To that end, I'm going to share what I've learned from my own mistakes and from listening to youth fitness and training experts all over the world. And if you're making these mistakes, you're sabotaging your child's sport performance, their fitness, and maybe even their long-term health and well-being. So let's dive right in, shall we? Here are what I think are the five deadly sins committed by parents and coaches in the training and fitness of youth athletes and kids. Number one, a focus on short-term gain. So what, what happens here, uh, well, you know, let's start it this way. This could also be called the instant gratification mistake, right? You see this all over media and advertising. Six-minute abs, 21 days to a new body, lose 10 pounds in your first week. Yeah, and I know those are all aimed at adults, but the mindset spills over into the youth fitness and training arena. It's pretty common for training facilities and youth fitness coaches to make promises of rapid and even, even sometimes immediate gains in speed, strength, or other athletic skills. We see these six- and eight-week programs being sold all over the place with some pretty big promises attached to them. And to some degree, they're not really exaggerated. You see, children from the age of about five to about 21 are incredibly plastic. Their muscular and neural systems are ripe for change, development, and improvement. They're adaptive machines. When you place an applied demand on those machines, they improve. In other words, training kids in almost any kind of organized and even barely progressive fashion will lead to physical improvements. Their central nervous systems are amazingly plastic and really good at mastering new and various movement patterns. Their muscles are developing in size, durability, and power output, and their bones are getting stronger and denser. You could literally have a 13-year-old athlete do three sets of burpees each day for six weeks, and you'd see noticeable differences in their body composition, strength, and conditioning. Have a 16-year-old football player run up and down the bleachers four or five times a day for that same period, and you'd get measurable improvement in the size of leg muscles, speed, and power output. But those results don't justify either of those ideas as appropriate training programs. All that means is that these children's bodies 
have responded to stress the way they were designed to. The same can be said for short-term programs and things like speed. When you put your child through a four-week speed and agility program, the skill improvement they acquired will begin to degrade in week five. Why? Because the skill development was rushed to impress parents and the repetition opportunities were insufficient to create deep, lasting movement skills. It was too much, too fast, so it won't stick in the brain and the body. Now, I'm gonna, just a full disclosure, you know, here in our facility, we run clinics and camps and things like that all the time. But what we don't do is we don't make wild promises about your kid's development. We tell you what's going to happen in that time frame and how to, how to make it stick and how to keep it going. So movement and athletic skills have progressions. Um, after all, babies don't ju just go from lying around eating, sleeping, and pooping to running around doing it. Thank goodness. Um, they have to learn to roll over. Then they have to learn to crawl, then stand, walk, etc. Yes, you can speed the progression a little, but the way you do that is by giving the, the child opportunity for more repetitions, right? But it has to, that has to take its course and you can't skip any steps. We see the same thing in school. Kids need to master the material in each grade before moving to the next. None of them get a master's degree before finishing seventh grade. And I know what you're thinking, Sheldon Cooper, I got it. He finished all that stuff, then got his master's degree, he just did it really fast. Focus on long-term gains in development. Seek youth fitness and training programs that focus on optimal development and gains that stick. Then find a way to make room and time in your child's schedule to keep working on those gains. Performance will improve, you'll greatly reduce injury risk, and your athlete will enjoy the process far more and far longer. Number two, heavy loads before mastering technique. Humans are both competitive and acquisitive by nature. We love to compete against ourselves as well as others, and we love to get stuff. So it's natural for parents, coaches, and even athletes themselves to want to put up and get bigger numbers in lifts like the bench press, squat, deadlift, cleans, and Olympic lifts. But focusing on the numbers and just moving weight can be catastrophic. The dangers of poor form and technique during the lift should be obvious. What is less obvious is the lasting increase in injury risk caused by overloading poor movements. Joints are stressed and prone to injury. Muscles don't function optimally. Bad things can happen. I love to get my athletes strong. I say repeatedly that strength is king and all other athletic skills are subject to it. Strength allows athletes to be fast, powerful, durable, agile, quick, and injury resistant. But it has to be functional strength and it has to be accompanied by excellent technique. Beginning with body weight versions of, many, of as many movements as possible allows form improvement and perfection before adding external loads. Teaching parts of lifts is effective for some movements as well. Olympic lifts lend themselves to this concept. Progressing to barbell and dumbbell work should happen when an athlete masters the body weight version of a movement. Increasing load should only happen when maximal weight reps can be managed without a significant breakdown in form. Athletes are likely to exhibit minor deviations in form under maximal loads, like those at their one rep max are very close to it. So how much deviation is allowable? If your athlete repeatedly performed an athletic movement in their sport that resembled the lift they attempted, would you feel confident that they could avoid injury over time? For example, if a basketball player's jump looked like their maximal squat, would it lead to injury if repeated over time? Develop function first, then load the movement. Hey, thanks for listening to the Four Pillar Fitness Podcast. We are going to be right back in just a moment after these words from our sponsor. Number three, focusing on parent fitness. Look, I get it. You go to the gym and take some classes, maybe lift some weights, hop on a treadmill in the hopes of winning the battle of the bulge. You want to improve your cardio fitness, cardiovascular fitness, lose some weight, and hold off the effects of aging as long as possible. So you do low, long, slow cardio sessions. You lift light weights for high reps. Or maybe you do lift a little bit heavy. I don't know. 
Maybe you follow your chest on Monday, back on Tuesday, et cetera, et cetera, bodybuilding routine that you got from Muscle and Fiction magazine. Does that sound like the way to train your youth athlete? I didn't think so. Don't inflict your fitness fears on your kids. Their athletic needs are different than your need to look better naked, most likely. They need to develop athletic strength, power, and explosiveness. They need multidirectional speed, agility, quickness, and deceleration skills. They need to develop athletic coordination. They need balance, kinesthetic differentiation, spatial awareness, and the ability to manage it all at high speed while making hundreds of predictions and decisions practically every second. Get them off the treadmill, out of the aerobics class, and into a program that can help them get all that. Come to think of it, you might benefit from some of that too. Let your kids train like athletes. Number four, a myopic focus on linear speed. The only sport that takes place in a straight line all the time is the 55 or 100 meter sprint. That's it. Even in swimming, there are small waves and, and movements and currents in the pool that push swimmers off their lines all the time. Don't believe me? Ask a competitive swimmer. Football, baseball, soccer, lacrosse, ice hockey, softball, volleyball, name a sport, multidirectional in nature. Yet coaches spend hours teaching quote-unquote speed drills, you know, arm action, hip drive, ankle drive, forward lean, yada, yada. And don't even get me started on the high-speed treadmill nonsense. <clears throat> While I understand that linear speed is part of just about every game, I'd argue that all the important stuff in every sport doesn't happen in a straight line. You can't even jog a walk-off home run without turning. Linear speed training for athletes shouldn't occupy more than about 3 to 4% of total training volume in any training program phase. Sports are multidirectional and vary in speed constantly. Athletes need to learn how to move efficiently and fast in all planes of motion at multiple angles, and they need to be skilled at deceleration, better known as stopping. Direction change skills, which are prized by every athlete and coach, will grow out of this development. In sports, speed is the killer app, and multidirectional speed is the premium upgraded version of that app. Number five, the myth of sports-specific training. Ugh. There is no such thing as sport-specific training. If you're a parent who paid a bunch of money to some trainer for soccer, baseball, softball, basketball, or any other sport-specific training, you got robbed. And if you're a coach or trainer selling this lie, you're a thief. Strong words, I know, but they're 100% true. What aspect of the athletic skill set is specific to any one sport? Strength, power, speed, agility, quickness, balance, coordination, rotational vectors, spatial awareness, Mental acuity, tactical decision-making, all these things are universal to all sports. Therefore, therefore, all effective, functional, comprehensive, and progressive strength and conditioning and youth and fitness and training programs are specific, quote-unquote, to every sport. If this training is specific to all sports, then it's specific to none of them. Therefore, no training program that includes these elements is sport-specific. Sports-specific, yes, because they help all sports. Can certain exercises or groups of exercises be shown to be beneficial to specific aspects of a sport or sports? Yes. Can you group movements and exercises together in ways that enhance the playing skills of a specific sport? Yes. Still doesn't make it, any of it specific to one sport. Quick example. If you've ever seen or used a jump trainer like a Vertimax, you know it enhances vertical leap. We have one here and we know it does. Therefore, it must be basketball specific, right? No, no, wait, volleyball. No, wait, high jump. Performance in lots of sports benefits from an improved jumping ability and plyometric power. Youth athletes and kids in general are in the growth process. Their brains are able to process and create motor plans for an infinite variety of movement patterns. There is literally no limit to the movements children can master. Why then would we stunt this awesome athletic development with a hyper-focus on one sport? Children develop athleticism best when they're exposed to a massive variety of movement opportunities. 
creating a broadly diversified training program will foster their athletic skills and give them the best chance at athletic success long-term. Specializing the training regimen in favor of one sport or its common movements actually derails the development process and makes the child more prone to injury and failure. What this means is there won't be much difference between the training program for a 14-year-old male hockey player and a 14-year-old female softball player. A look at most successful athletes in just about any sport reveals a great diversity of training stimulus and movement opportunity during their developmental years. Over time, youth athletes may gravitate toward or exhibit proficiency in a specific sport. They may start to garner attention from coaches at the quote-unquote next level. When it becomes obvious that your 15 to 17-year-old is likely to play one sport in college or beyond, that's when it's appropriate to build some specificity into a training program. Perhaps it's more accurate to say it's appropriate to eliminate some of the training generalities. One such example would be the 16-year-old baseball pitcher who is being recruited to play in college. Now, that athlete would need to have some activities in a training program that are specific to arm care and shoulder health, especially during the season. Even with this reality, at least 80% of the training program would be focused on developing the broader athletic skill set. Sport-specific training is intended for older youth athletes with a true love of one sport and an opportunity to play at the next level, if it exists at all. It's not for your eight-year-old quarterback, 10-year-old midfielder, or 12-year-old pitcher, because next year, they might all want to be shooting guards on the basketball team. Training programs that address a broad range of movement and athletic skills will deliver a better result for your youth athlete and probably save mom and dad a bundle too. So those are the five deadly mistakes parents and coaches make in training youth athletes. You know, I'm sure I ruffled a few feathers. That, however, has never stopped me from speaking my mind in the past and is way unlikely to stop me in the future. The big takeaway might be this. Children are born with an infinite number of possibilities as it relates to movement, athleticism, and even sports. Don't cut those possibilities off by limiting their opportunities. Give them variety and repetition, and they'll figure out what they like and even what they're good at. Listen, thanks very much for listening to the Four Pillar Fitness Podcast. This is Coach Phil Houston, and you know how to reach me. Uh, you can reach me right through Anchor with a voice message. You can reach me on Instagram at Coach Phil Houston. Just spell the last name right, H-U-E-S-T-O-N. Uh, or at, on Twitter at Phil Houston. Again, spell the last name right. And check, check out the website, CoachPhilHouston.com. There's lots of articles and stuff there you can, you can check out and send me a message. Let me know what you think. Again, thanks for listening. I really, really appreciate it. And as always, keep the faith and keep after it.